You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Welcome to this episode of the British GT Fan Show. For all the latest on the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship and more, join us in this episode for a roundup of the news, our review of the most recent championship rounds at Snatterton, and a look ahead at the title contenders for the season finale at Silverstone. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith, alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith and Andrew Brightman and Gaz Jacobs of the British GT fans. So we've got quite a lot of news to cover in this episode. Uh, First of all, we'll pass to Nick, who's got some news about Silverstone. Yes, since the round at Snetterton, the news has broken that the Silverstone 500 will be run behind closed doors. The SRO and Silverstone Circuits announced that the final round of the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship will take place without fans present. COVID-19 restrictions on the venue make it impossible to open the doors to spectators as a result of the site being classified as an elite sports stadium. Instead, fans will have to make do with the comprehensive race day coverage on the British GT website and social media channels. And of course, the, the social media activities that the British GT Fan Show and the British GT Fans Group uh, carry out during race weekends to, to keep you all up to date. In our roundup of news is the exciting news that Jensen Team Rocket RJN are expanding to a two-car team for experienced British GT racer Chris Bunkham and the most qualified British GT rookie we've ever had, 2009 Formula One world champion and 2018 Autobacks Super GT Series champion Jensen Button. Despite him taking a championship in Super GT, which is based on Class 1 regulations and is more prototype-based, Jensen Button is a full-on GT3 rookie, having never driven any GT3 car competitively, let alone the McLaren 720S GT3 he'll be sharing with Bunkham, who, despite an impressive British GT CV, is ranked at NAM. Um, there was a video released today by British GT of Jensen talking about how he's looking forward to the race at Silverstone. Um, and I'm sure everyone wishes him the best of luck and a warm welcome to the British GT ranks. Of course, Jensen Button's McLaren isn't the only me McLaren we are getting for the Silverstone 500. Two Cs Motorsport have announced a third McLaren 720S for the final round of the British GT Championship at Silverstone. Al Faisal Alzebir, the two times Porsche GT3 Middle East champion, will be joined by the Croatian 2018 GT World Challenge Asia champion and 2020 GT Open runner-up Martin Kodrick for a third Silver Cup effort in the three-hour Silverstone 500 race. The final round of the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship will also be the first time a TF Sport GT3 car's raced in the series this year, so 
since claiming the GT3 Drivers and Pro-Am Championships at the final round last year in 2019. The outfit returns with two drivers making their GT3 Championship debut. Outgoing GT4 champion, Tom Canning, and Giacomo Petrobelli. Canning made his first GT3 start at Spa in the GT Open Championship last month, whilst Petrobelli returns to racing after a six-year break and makes his first start for Aston Martin. It's not just in GT3 that we've had additional entries either. Simon Green Motorsport have started the GTC Revival for the British GT Championship, and they are coming to the Silverstone 500. Simon Green Motorsport, mainly known for club-level GT and endurance racing, make their Intelligent Money British GT Championship debut, reviving the GTC class for the first time since 2019's opening round. The team, who among their credits have developed their own Jaguar XK race car for Britcar before joining the Porsche Carrera Cup GB and Ferrari Challenge UK, will run a Ferrari 488 Challenge Evo for a three-driver lineup, which includes season pro Ross Wiley. Wiley returns to the championship with the previous starts in both GT3 and GT4. He'll be joined by Lucky Carra and Lee Frost, both of whom have raced in Ferrari Challenge UK and the Porsche Carrera Cup GB. And the GTC class at the final round of the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship continues to grow with the addition of a second GTC class Ferrari 488 Challenge Evo thanks to Scott Sport. The drawing of the lineup of this car are making their British GT return. John Dillon, since a Ferrari GT3 campaign in 2014, and Phil Quaife's first race since an invitational run in Barwell Motorsports' Janetta G50Z, the Zytec-powered forerunner to the G50 GT4. And a third GTC car has also been confirmed thanks to the Bentley GT3 team, Team Parker Racing. They've announced they're to enter a second car into the 2020 Intelligent Money British GT Championship finale, the Silverstone 500. The team have been running at the front of the Porsche Carrera Cup GB Championship for years and are to enter a single Porsche 911 GT3 Cup car for Carl Leonard, the outgoing UK Porsche Carrera Cup champion, and Tim Bridgman, the 2009 Carrera Cup champion. Moving back to GT4... We've also got another edition from Balf Motorsport. And in this one, Pure McLaren and Ferrari Challenge North America racer Lars Darman will be joining Charlie Hollings at the wheel of a third McLaren 570S GT3 car. The duo joined champions elect Mir Fluit and Ewan Hankey. And returning round by round entrants, Jan Klingenberg and Warren Hughes in a three way spectacular in the GT4 Pro Am Cup to round out the season at the Silverstone 500. And the final major piece of news to break since we last brought news to you is that the 2021 calendar for the Intelligent Money British GT Championship has been announced and it signals a return to the new normal. The only minor changes to the original calendar plan for 2020 are the movement of Brands Hatch to Round 5 and Spa to later in the year. So we start at Alton Park, which returns to its traditional Easter weekend date, Snetterton following at the end of April. Brands Hatch becomes round five, as we've said, ahead of the Silverstone 500, which returns to June and the middle of the year. Donington Park appears twice, round seven in July and the traditional Donington Decider in September. Spa-Francorchamps returns in July as well, where both British GT and FFSA G2 
GT, the French series, will feature at the SRO Spa Speed Week in support of the Total 24 Hours of Spa. Hi, I'm Mia Fluitt. I'm a GT4 driver with Balfe Motorsport and I'm happy to be joining the guys on British GT Fan Show. Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. As we've got a packed episode for you all uh, this time around, we're going to be a little bit more brief in our rundown of the last races at Snetterton aforementioned. So let's start with the GT4 teams rundown. So bottom of the standings after the two races at Snetterton is Speedworks Motorsport, um, who took away eight points in round seven and six points in round eight. We then have Balf Motorsport, who took away 10 and 12 points respectively. Century Motorsport are fourth in the team's championships currently, and they took away six points after round seven and 14 after round eight. Academy Motorsport are third in the championships, taking away six and eight points respectively. At second place, we've got HHC Motorsport, who took away 30 points and 27 points after the two races at Snetterton. And topping the table, we've got TF Sport, and their two cars took away a total of 40 points from round seven and 33 points from round eight. So Nick, talk us through the high points of the races for these teams and the cars. I'm going to kind of throw out a cop out here, to be honest, because I'm looking through my notes from race one at the moment. And aside from the pit stops on lap 12 for the GT3 cars, where I noticed that the number 95 and the 97 pitted at the same time. I only made three notes about GT4 cars in the first race, because that was all we saw. Uh, the number 61 got out of the pits just ahead of the 57, but lost the lead lap at Agostini, was note number one. Note number two was that Jamie Caroline was leading by eight seconds from the 57 on the 19th lap of the race overall. And then at the end of the race, I noticed that the number 69 car, the Mercedes of Sanderham and Patrick Ajala, was compromised at Agostini by the number 43 BMW. Nobody's fault, just a GT4 car is not as quick through a corner like Agostini as a GT3 car is. And then I noted the order that they started the race in and the order that they finished it in. But that was all we saw. It's a problem we're going to have at Silverstone as well, assuming, of course, that the TV director has the same focus on the GT3 and, of course, GTC battle there. Uh, the GT4 cars are now the third class for the first time this year. These notes were made on a second watch through. I just watched the the coverage that went out as live on YouTube with a piece of paper in front of me and a pen. The first time through, Sarah was watching the race on the big screen, and I had half an eye on it. But whilst uh, Sarah was tweeting what was actually happening, my job was to analyse the four timing screens I had open in front of me. I was watching weather, I was watching the tracker, 
I was watching the statistics screen and I was watching the timing screen and trying to spot developing patterns. Now, I fell into the same trap as the race director did in that the battle in GT3 was that exciting. I was kind of forgetting there were GT4 cars there, which means that after two watches through, I only found three points from three points from race one to to actually reflect on tonight. Going through race two, I think there was a bit more on race two, um, mainly because one of the GT3 cars and one of the GT4 cars had a coming together on the first lap. So I noted about the 57 car pitting at the start of lap two. Um, and th thereafter, it was basically the GT4 cars showing that they don't have the same level of, of grip as a GT3 car. There's a lot of notes that, that cars were getting a bit tail end happy and other cars didn't have the grip to get past it. But there wasn't really, looking through this, much of a standout moment. A battle between one of the HHC cars, number 58, and the number 61 Ford Mustang got a note um and thereafter as i say it's it's pretty much all gt3 stuff because say gt4 was it's a, gt3 was spicy and gt4 was just overlooked yeah i mean i was uh for my part when we were actually covering the race i was trying to make a conscious decision to try and focus on what gt4 footage i can see um and there wasn't a great deal but i mean i'm very much kind of you know they're both equally important it was a struggle at times to kind of do things and in my head i was thinking right i've said you know two or three things now about gt3 i need to find something that's happening in gt4 and just waiting for kind of the cameras to to pan across or for something to come up on the timing screens or the statistics that nick can feed me to get in to make sure that you know we're not not biasing it as much as possible um and i think you know it it isn't really anyone's fault as nick said it was really really uh competitive in the gt3 race um and certainly you know on a second watch through as well i i very much enjoyed just sitting and watching it rather than sitting and live tweeting it um even though i knew kind of what was going on and what the result was going to be so that's always a good sign. There is one thing I am going to throw in here, and it's it's almost a defence of myself, and I'm going to apologise to TF Sport in advance. But I fed you information that the number 97 blocked its teammate in the pit lane. And TF Sport, obviously watching our Twitter, because they pretty much straight away came back and said, well, both cars were in and out, bang on their times. Nobody blocked anybody, nothing to see here. When I watched it back, I put a stopwatch on the 97 car, which was pushed back. Uh, they were the first two garages, or they were one of the very early garages in the pit lane. And the 95 was closest to pit in in the, uh, in the infra service. The 97 was the next car up. And that was pushed back into the fast lane, and it waited there for six seconds before pulling away obviously to hit its time right. Now, yes, they may have hit their, their pit stop times 
on the nose, their minimum pit stop time from, from pit in to pit out. But it did give the number 95 car a much harder reverse out, and they're pushed out, they're, they don't reverse back under power. But it was a much tighter reverse, and it was a, a, stru- a sort of slightly more squirrelly angle to get back in. So whilst it may not have affected the positions in the race, I do maintain that the 97 being pushed back when it could then left where it was slightly inconvenienced their teammates. I'm sure we'll get a response from TF Sport to, to get that back and then I'll try and keep the peace. <laughs> TF Sport, if you wish to further refute what I'm saying, send an email to bgtfshow at racingphotographic.co.uk with the subject line, Nick, you're wrong. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Follow us on social media at BGTF Show. Don't forget to check out our partners. British GT fans on social media at Fans of British GT on Twitter and Instagram and British GT fans on Facebook. Now, as we said during the GT4 review, there really wasn't a lot to see in GT4 on the coverage, which meant that we didn't have a lot to offer you. The flip side of that, of course, is that we've got quite a lot to offer you in GT3. So we're doing things slightly different this time. And basically what's going to happen is Sarah's going to throw cars at me. I'm going to pick off the high points of what happened. And we're going car by car through every car that raced at Snetterton. And of course, Sarah can throw in her own high points as well. Okay, so we'll throw cars metaphorically in a logical order. Uh, So we'll start from the bottom and work our way up. So first up, we will go with... Uh, bottom of the table, which is the number 51 AF Corsa UK Ferrari, uh, 488 GT3 Evo, driven by Duncan Cameron and Matt Griffin. What can you tell us about Snetterton for this car? Well, we only saw it a couple of times on the coverage. It was basically GT4, but with a slightly bigger engine. Um, they really didn't impress that much. Apparently, they're struggling with setup for the car and the tyres, etc. Uh, failed to score a point. Uh, 4.5 points in the overall title battle coming away from the penultimate round of the championship. It's been a a desperately poor year, but their attention has been split. They've had a campaign in ELMS as well, and they've also run at Le Mans. Unfortunately, it seems that they brought their luck from Le Mans back to the UK with them for Snetterton, and it's gone that badly. They're, they're not even coming to the final round. So in 16th uh, place overall in the Drivers' Championship is the JMH Auto Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo, which wasn't at Snetterton. So we'll move on to 15th placed, which is the number 36 Balfe Motorsport McLaren 720S GT3, which was driven at Snetterton by Stuart Proctor and Joe Osborne. Again, not a massive amount seen about this car, and it is actually a good thing this time. The car was only entered for selected rounds, and they've completed their planned program for 2020. They're not going to come to Silverstone, uh, which means that, of course, their points total, as it stands now, is what they're going to have for the rest of the year. The reason I say not seeing a lot of them is a good thing. Joe Osborne obviously has been the shining light in that car. He is the pro driver, and he has caused it to do absolutely amazing things. But not everybody can be absolutely brilliant in all conditions, in all locations. And Joe was at the level of 
of his peers. He didn't stand out with this one. I put it down to the conditions. But Stuart Proctor didn't stand out either. And given that he has stood out before because he's still getting to grips with the car and he's been slow, not standing out obviously means that he's catching up, he's getting faster. It's a good thing. A few rounds of obscurity is the next step before we start to see signs of the next improvement. So I'm actually quite happy that we don't know a lot about this car. Okay, the next car that we're going to talk about um, is actually 13th in the driver championships as 14th place is held by Frank Pereira, who wasn't at Snetterton, uh, but obviously has raced previously in the number 18 WPI Motorsport Lamborghini. But in 13th, we have the number nine TC's Motorsport McLaren, uh, driven by Angus Fender and Dean McDonald. What can we tell you about the number nine McLaren? First race, it broke down on the rate of the grid. Um, it managed to get out for the for the start of the race, but it started at the back of the pack and had to fight its way through GT4s as well as GT3s. The second race, it picked up a pit stop penalty. Um, it was a stop and go penalty, which means that the the pit stop infringement was less than a second under the minimum pit top pit stop time. That is getting slightly better traction away from the pit box than you thought it was, than you thought you'd get. So we can't really hang the guys for that. The team executed very, very well. Unfortunately, the drivers, they kind of retreated to lawnmower racing for a bit. They spent a lot of time relatively on the grass, but it was a stronger performance than we used to see from number nine on what was actually a very good weekend for Two Seas Motorsport. Okay, so next up um, in the standings is the Audi RA LMS GT3 Evo of Richard Williams and Senan Fielding for stellar performance, uh, who again did not make Snatterton, uh, but they will be at Silverstone. So next up, we've got in 11th place, the 66 Team Parker Racing Bentley Continental GT3 of Nick Jones and Scott Malvin. Don't we mean Neil Jones? I say jokingly because the circuit commentator actually got Nick's name wrong three times from, from my recollection. At least. <laughs> um, no further comment on that one, I think. What we can make a comment on is Nick Jones absolutely fantastic fantastic save early in the first race and okay yeah he did drop it on the way out of palmer uh speared off to the left hand side very narrowly missed the bit of armco that was protecting andrew and gaz from the speeding bentley almost made it to the other side of the 100 circuit before doubling back to rejoin on the run down to agostini he kept the car going rolled it up to the tarmac a lot of people say he might have probably should have stopped to let the number nine car go. But I reckon if he had have stopped on the grass being as wet as it was, he wouldn't have got it going again. So I agree that he made the right decision to carry on going. Luckily, he didn't take out the number nine car on the way down to Agostini. Um, and the car went on to have a reasonable race. 
The second race, however, wasn't so brilliant. There was some sort of kerfuffle coming together, bouncing off whatever uh, on the run down to Brundle, coming under the bridge on the Bentley Strait. Next thing we see, the Bentley is wiping out one of the foam marker board sign sponsor logo things. And then a slightly limping GT4 McLaren sort of sticks his head around the side to see whether it's safe to carry on. So they've obviously come together somewhere. The car lost seven laps getting repairs as a result of that, but then came out and put some fairly impressive times in. It wasn't the best weekend. It was a a weekend of, of making up for early errors later on in the race. It's unfortunate that the car is not coming to Silverstone, but we do get to see the Mercedes GT4 car which uh, they raced last year and the car with which they took their 2018 GT4 Pro-Am title. So moving on to 10th in the championship is the number eight Team ABBA Racing Mercedes AMG GT3, driven by Richard Neary and Sam Neary. Now, I could probably fill on this one. It was a very unfortunate weekend for them. Uh, But Nick, tell us why. Well, of course, it was one of the teams that's probably travelled the furthest to get to Snetterton. And the good news for the team, not that there was much good news in the weekend, was they got to start the journey home quite early. They came out for warm-up. There was an issue for another car early on which caused a red flag. They went back out for warm-up after the red flag was cleared. Richard Neary at the wheel of the car came through the first corner, accelerated away to head down to the Wilson hairpin, and the car just snapped on him. And he T-boned the Armco on the right-hand side. Now, my first thoughts were that doesn't actually look that serious. Other people were saying that looks like there's quite a bit of damage there, and it turns out, guess what? I was wrong. Somebody else was right. Um, Would that someone be me? I plead the fifth. Um, yes, it was you. You did say it was quite a hefty impact. I said, oh, no, get a bit of teacup. That'll buff out. Uh, unfortunately, the impact was quite severe. It did damage to the actual tub of the car, which they couldn't repair at the circuit. Um, carbon fibre tubs can be repaired, but it's quite a lengthy process of applying carbon fibre and curing it and this, that and the other. There was no way they could get it done at the circuit in time, especially with it being fairly cold there, which means it's hard to get this stuff to cure in the first place. So they've had to pack the car up and go back to St. Helens, where they're based, and and do the repair there. It meant they didn't take any part in the competitive action of the weekend. They didn't do any of, of, of the races. They didn't score any points. Their saving grace is that they can't slip any further backwards down the championship because... Their their the, their competition just aren't turning up, with the exception of the of the Audi, which will be there at uh, at Silverstone. So tenth is is pretty much where they're likely to finish up. It was it was just a very very unfortunate weekend. Nothing good ever comes of warm up. I mean, the important thing with it, obviously, is that Richard was okay, um, and they were actually really good to kind of reassure everyone on Twitter quite quickly that, yes, everyone's fine, but unfortunately, 
the car was quite damaged. Um, so I personally was really sad to see that. Yeah, I I was I was quite. I mean, I've I've, I've always had a soft spot for for, for Team Abba. Um, I've had a soft spot for Team Abba since the days running in brick car with an old E E forty six M three that they built themselves and. I mean, it's the only car that's won the brick car 24 hours or the 24 hours of Silverstone twice. So I've always had a soft spot for them. I damn nearly worked for them earlier in the year. I was gutted when that fell through. Um, but it, it, it's one of those things. They'll come back at Silverstone and assuming it's not monsoon conditions again, then hopefully they'll do, they'll do better. So ninth in the championship is held by Andrea Caldarelli. Again, another one of the number 18 WPI Motorsport Lamborghini drivers. Um, And he holds that purely on basis of his rounds that he's competed in so far. So moving on to eighth place in the championship, we've got the number 96 Optimum Motorsport McLaren 720S GT3 driven by Lewis Proctor and Ollie Wilkinson. Let's talk about their weekend. Yeah, they started very, very well in race one and then steadied off. Um, they were very strong in second place at the stops. They couldn't really argue with the, the pace of, of the eventual winning car, the number 10. During the second stint, I mean, Lewis Proctor started the car and shot off like the robber's dog in pursuit of the of the eventual winner. Uh, when Ollie Wilkinson came on board... He wasn't slow by any means, but he did have mirrors full of Sandy Mitchell's Lamborghini. It it caused him to lose tr- lose contact slightly with with the leader. There was a long and quite fierce battle between McLaren and Lamborghini, which was finally decided in the last centimeter or so of the race. As the I, I think there was a Lamborghini badge ahead and that was about it at the line the second race the conditions altered it was wetter none of the mclarens liked the wetter conditions they didn't do anywhere near as well in the second race um so it's not the optimum crew's fault that the car didn't perform as well couple that with success seconds there was another battle between optimum and tusi's motorsport during the second race, where the the papaya car actually did a fantastic job of defending, um, finally lost out only for the two C's car to throw it off at, within a couple of corners and give the place back, um, and then another battle for the rest of the race between the papaya car and the Jensen Team Rocket RJN car. I don't think we were ever, after the first race, we were ever expecting the Optimum car to be running at the front of the second race. They took decent points out of Snetterton, and they unfortunately are out of title contention in all the titles, but they had a good weekend. In seventh place in the championship is the number six Ram Racing Mercedes AMG GT3 Evo with Ian Loggie and Yelma Berman at the wheel. I am sure that Ian Loggy had a brilliant race meeting. And I'm sure of that because they had some very strong results and they are still in title contention in the Pro-Am class. 
I know that he had an off in the second race, just a minor one, off and continue. No shame in that. So did his co-driver, Yelma Byrne. My overriding memories of the number six car is Yelma Berman latching onto a factory driver in another car, battling hammer and tongs with them for half an hour, and nothing really getting decided just to rejoin it in the next race. It was brilliant to watch. Absolutely stunning watching two well-driven, factory-driven cars going at it on on our, our little British circuits. Uh, I absolutely loved it. So we come to sixth place in the championship now, which is the number 18 WPI Motorsport Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo. We've already mentioned it a few times due to the second drivers that have partnered main driver Michael Igo. Uh, so let's have a chat about kind of this car and Andrea Calderelli as well as he was partnering this weekend. A very, very strong weekend, um, which, to be honest, we expect. Um, it's very easy to forget, and I know the, the order of the rounds has jumbled up in, in 2020 for reasons I don't think we need to recap at this point. But it's very easy to forget that the first time Michael Igo drove the Lamborghini in anger was at Snetterton in 2019. First round of last year's last year's championship, he was in a different class altogether. And I'm I'm not saying that as the driver was a different class. The car was a different class car. Um this time out, they had they had a bit of a job to do. Um they finished seventh in qualifying for the first race. Michael Igo started the car, Andrea Calderelli took second. They had to fight their way past the championship rivals. They had to fight their way past the overall championship leader as well. Being a pro-am car, of course, Michael Igo, bloody quick for an am, but battling against, basically battling out drivers against drivers out of his weight class. Come the pit stops, changeover, Andrea Calderelli was battling below his weight class, but still couldn't get past the Mercedes. Uh, the number 69 car was the car that they were fighting against. It was, again, absolutely fantastic to watch the different strengths of the cars, but no dice, unfortunately, for the number 18 car. Second race was a similar story, this time with Calderelli battling Yelma Berman. Um, Michael Igo didn't get out of the pits ahead of, of the am rival in that car, Ian Loggy, um, which, which meant that he had work to do in his stint didn't manage to pull that move off but they took decent points away from the weekend they're out of the overall title fight but Michael Igo is in with a fair to middling chance of taking the pro-am title in his first full year in the class so we move on to fifth in the championship now which is the number 10 two seas motorsport McLaren 720s gt3 uh, this one being driven by Jack Mitchell and Jordan Witt. And of course, they are title hopefuls in the Silver Cup Championship. So let's have a chat about this weekend. We are now 18 episodes into the British GT Fan Show. And I can finally say, <laughs> bloody good job, two Cs. 
a win in the first race. I've been waiting for it all season. I've been hard on them and I've 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 said they've been doing things wrong and they've finally done it right and they went out and won it and I am absolutely thrilled. Second race, not quite so good, but success seconds, bad conditions. I believe there was a a trip across the grass, but then pretty much everybody was going across the grass in the second race. I, th- I think you're better off taking a speedboat. I'm I'm absolutely cock-a-hoop. So as we approach the top of the table, it's time for us to talk about the car that has had everybody talking this season so far. In fourth place, we've got the number two Jensen Team Rocket RJN McLaren 720S GT3, driven by James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien. First race, they actually went backwards. They they, they started sixth, finished seventh. Um, and it wasn't the car's best weekend. It was actually, by this car's standards, fairly disappointing. Um, the second race uh, started right at the back of GT3 made up six places but they were that far down and the action up front was that spicy they really didn't didn't come to much attention they that they, they suffered gt4 type problems when it came to publicity they do have a shot at two titles they're in the fight for the silver cup a long shot and they're in the tight fight for the overall a not quite so long shot but it ain't really going to happen. The weather at uh, Snetterton, I've said it every McLaren we've spoken about so far. For some reason, the 720S didn't like the weather conditions it faced at Snetterton. They did the best they can. It was damage limitation. So this brings us on to third place, which is the 72 Barwell Motorsport Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo of Adam Ballon and Phil Keane. Adam Ballon is the only amateur driver in the overall title fight. By that flip side, Phil Keane is the only pro driver in the overall title fight. But they are still in the in the fight with a reasonable hope. And they are the only pro-am car that is in a field of silvers. So no matter what happens at Silverstone, they that they can come out this season with their head held high. What happened at Snetterton? First race started reasonably for the first three corners. On the way out of the third corner, it took a turn for the worse, and that turn was about 160 degrees. They were pointing back the way they came as the rest of the field streamed past. It left both drivers with basically a job of work to do. They had to fight their way through the GT4s, which put them out of contact with the GT3s. They had to get back onto the pack of of the GT3 cars. Then, obviously, Adam had to hand over to Phil, uh, stand back, light the touch paper, and wait for the firework to take off. Off he went, and the car recovered to seventh in class. Good result from a bad start. Race two was like well, it was it was like like a different race meeting. Started on the outside of the front row, 
Phil Keane refused to back down, despite the fact that he was sharing the front row with his teammate. Uh, they got to the first corner, and basically it was whoever blinks first loses. The 78 car blinked first. The 72 car went off into the lead and was never headed. It was an absolutely stunning drive. It's kept title hopes alive. So, great weekend at Snetterton. And a weekend we were expecting to be pretty good. Barwell's always done well there. So, yeah, just about what you're expecting. About the other Barwell car now then, because in second place in the championship is the number 78 Lamborghini Huracan GT3 Evo, driven by Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell. The first race, Rob Collard started on the outside of the front row. Uh, Lost out at the Wilson hairpin, fought back at Palmer. So a bit of to and fro on the way through the first sector of the first lap. But then it was basically at that point, it was was all over for, for, for race victory. Two McLarens got through, went off into the distance, blowing a slightly turbocharged V6 sounding raspberry. Um, and attention had to turn to title rivals behind because Sam Dehan was making his presence very much known. Uh, the pit stops came, they switched over, and Patrick Kajala was making his presence very much known while Sandy Mitchell tried to fight him off. The second race started on pole. As we've already covered, lost out to teammates at the first corner. Um, they ended up down in fifth place overall, um, falling behind the the Ram Racing car, who are their their, their real class rivals in terms of the Silver Cup battle. They've come out of of Snetterton with more than more than an even chance of of, of walking away at the end of the year with two drivers' titles. Um, so it was a, it was a good weekend, a weekend where they had to protect their position to a, to a certain extent, but I don't think they can, I don't think they'll look back at Snetton and say, oh, bugger, that's where we lost it. I think it's, they'll, they'll look back and say, that's where we, we kept ourselves in the chance of winning it. So moving to our final car to discuss today which is first in the championship we've got the number 69 ram racing mercedes amg gt3 of sam dehan and patrick kiala started the first race of the weekend on pole position and pretty much immediately lost out to the mclarens that went on to a 1-3 uh, they also lost uh, position to their their class title rivals the number 78, which probably wasn't what they were expecting and what, and what they were hoping for, but got down to work, consolidated, had some bloody good battles. Um, the Patrick Kajala, Andrea Calderelli battle between the 69 and the 18 for the last half of the race was edgy seat stuff. It was It was fantastic. The second race, they started fifth on the grid. Um, they they immediately sort of put the hammer down, and the grunt of that V eight. It's the biggest engine in the field. 
a nice low stress big thrummy thrubby v8 it just in a straight line it's got all the torque in the world which gives them an absolutely great advantage in a straight up fight with a turbocharged or or high strung v8 v8 like you find in the lamborghini so car advantage got them ahead but then just dogged determination and the widest mercedes benz you have ever seen kept them ahead um it was it was great to watch it was a, a brilliant brilliant real racing it wasn't in terms of the championship exactly what the doctor ordered but it was thoroughly entertaining and they lead the overall championship and the silver cup heading to silverstone and the team is in with a chance of the team's championship Heading into the last round of a championship like the British GT Championship with the chance of walking away with three trophies is, is not something you can, you can turn your nose up at. You're listening to the British GT Fan Show, filled by TCF Sportscast. Don't forget to follow us on our social media at BGTF Show. So we come to take a look towards the last race of the championship which of course is the Silverstone 500 we're going to take a look at the championship hopefuls and you may have seen on our social media that we have been releasing uh, little snippets of of the championship mathematics so we'll start off with kind of the easiest of the lot Uh, as usual we review GT4 first and then move on to GT3 so Starting off, we've got the GT4 Pro-Am Championship, which um, I'm pleased to say doesn't involve a lot of maths uh, because there is a de facto winner here, though still very well deserved, of the Bath Motorsport number 21 of Mia Fluitt and Ewan Hankey. Yeah, it's been a a really good season for for Mia and Ewan and Champions Elect, it's so well-deserved even if they haven't had the competition that they were hoping for and expecting. They've turned up at every round. They've done a bloody good job in competition, which in theory they shouldn't be able to fight as well as they've had. And it's just a round of applause to a proper champion's effort all season, even even without having other cars there to push them along. Congratulations to both Mia and Ewan. Um... That was a tough. It was a tough championship, wasn't it? For it, from uh, wasn't it? So uh, you know, all the plaudits to them. <laughs> you know, yeah, I agree with you. They they they, they expected more, more competition, um, but unfortunately, that, that 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 had to drop out. It's uh, it's it's one of those things, and but they they walk away with the title, so can't all be bad. I think what's probably the most impressive about this pair is that the only full season pro-am entry in a bunch of silver entries, they've held their own against them. They've they've won outright. They've had podium finishes and been up there all the way through. They've certainly not kind of sat back on their laurels knowing that they've got a championship. They just need to turn up and finish. They've really brought it. And that says as much about kind of their effort. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, racing spirit. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, and I mean, we we have seen 
the entry list for the final round. And they do have competition for the final round. And they it's not just Balfe Motorsport competition this time either. And I have no doubt that, I mean, four cars in the Pro-Am class in GT4, they're definitely going to be on the podium. And I, I don't have any doubt really that they're going to be on the top step. So we move on next to the GT4 title hopefuls for the GT4 Silver Cup. We've got four cars in contention here. Top of the list is the TF Sport number 97 of Jamie Caroline and Daniel Vaughan. We've also got the TF Sport 95 of Conor O'Brien and Patrick Kibble. Then we have HHC's number 58 of Jordan Collard and Patrick Matheson. And the number 61. Uh, which is headed by Matt Cowley, and it will be Will Moore again at Silverstone. So let's talk about their championship hopes. I've deliberately not gone in order here. I think back at the start of the season, we'd all said that we expected TF Sport to be up there um, along all tracks and championships. And, you know, I don't think it's any surprise to kind of see two TF Sports in the title hopefuls um for me i think the standout has been the mustang the 61 uh with matt cowley um not a particularly standout start to the season but it's really coming to his own um and i'm using the singular here because of course we have had a driver change partway through the season um but to see the car kind of starting out middling of the ranks and then coming through and winning and and basically pushing for it the title hope is is an outside hope um, on there, and it is going to be relying on potentially the cars above it slipping up. But uh, to get to that point is a is a great shout and a great drive through the season for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, as I say, we, we we all expected TS Sports to be at the top, uh, and I think a few of us may have even have um, said that HHC, you know, always stood a chance as well. Although I don't think that Academy are any, in any way a bad team, I didn't expect them to get as as, as good a grip on the Mustangs as uh, as maybe what they have. And when they were at the start of the season, I thought, well, yeah, that's that's about really where they I would expect them to have been. Obviously, Matt has has got to grips with the car very well, and and as I was being has been able to bring this car into contention. I think it's important that we point out here that we've got eight championships available. One of them has been won outright already. The two that that we're looking at here, the Silver Cup, and eventually we're going to look at the Drivers' Championship. The 97 is the only car that can win a championship without scoring a point. And that's an achievement, whether you believe that the 97 should be in that position or not. And to be perfectly honest, I don't. I don't think that after Brands Hatch and the way that particular race ended, I don't think that Jamie Caroline and Daniel Vaughan should be able to profit that massively from <laughs> a disgusting move on Jamie Caroline's part on the final lap. But you do have to recognise the achievement. I mean, a very hotly contested class, they can crash out at the first corner and still win the championship. 
honestly see this going down to the last lap, depending how the race pans out. It's you got two cars within two and a half points of each other. It's going to be so close to down to the last pit stop, down to the last some weird situations going on at the end, like we had at Silverstone last year with a GT3 accident between the winners. It's going to be so close. Um, but special combination has to go to Connor and Patrick Kibble. Um, being the two youngest, two of the youngest guys in the field to be up there just a little bit behind with a good chance to championship as well, and having a couple of outright wins, um, it's good for them. Matt Cowley, unfortunately, with a wasn't a great Snetterson for him with uh, his new teammate Will Moore, which I think has actually probably pretty much ruled him out. There's something weird happens. I say it's gonna be a I'd say definitely a three car battle, and it's all the way down to the line. We could have a Lewis Hamilton Brazil 2008 situation going on. Yeah, I think if we were to place bets amongst ourselves here as to where the championship would finally be decided, we would have candidates of Woodcote Corner, Luffield Corner, uh, possibly Brooklands, and maybe Aintree. That's <laughs> where the championships are going to be decided, all on the last lap. Because this one is going to go right down to the wire, isn't it? So next up, we move on to the GT4 Teams Championship. And as we've alluded to, this is really between two teams here. Well, we've got HHC versus TF Sport. Uh, let's talk about the hope, the title hopes for these two teams. There's a couple of things in this championship battle which are coming straight to my mind. First of all is the fact that Sarah has been doing nothing but number crunching since the end of the race at Snitterton, and she still hasn't figured out all the different possible permutations as to where these cars can finish and different people win. <laughs> this one's a complex one. There's 27 places that HH... There's 27 different combinations that HHC could finish in to outscore TF Sport by the number of points that they need to take the title, if all four cars finish. Um, so it's a, it's a tight one. It's it, it's close four. Um, obviously, TF Sport, they have looked pretty dominant. But HHC have taken the fight to them, and it's good that, they're, that, that we have a, a good old battle going into the final round. Note for next year, though, just from my point of view in producing these championship maths posters, if we can all have different looking cars, because two identical cars on the top row, two identical cars on the bottom row. Give me a challenge, please. Looking like TF Sports championship to lose. If, as long as all four cars finish the race, unless something weird happens where TF Sport end up with a lot of penalties or contacts which force them down i'll see them having the overall championship to them yeah i mean we've got to assume that the two tf sport cars are if they both finish they're both going to finish in the top six in class at which point is tf championship um assuming of course that one of them finishes on the podium and do we have any reason to doubt that that's not going to happen? I think I completely agree with Andrew. It's it's it's, it's TS Sports Championship to lose. Um, it would be nice to see HHC take a um, a team a team title. 
Um, but I think I think they need both cars up there in contention for the for the championships um, and and not just one um, to to be to be able to give them the, the a, a proper fight. I personally will always root for the underdog, um, and say it is TF Sports Championship to lose, having spent a long time, as Nick's alluded to, looking at the numbers. But it's not impossible by any means for HHC to to do it. It just takes one mistake, one rash decision, um, and it could be very different at the weekend. And I think this is probably the most close closely four of all the championships right now um and i'm not sure i want to try and guess or put forward my thoughts on who's going to win um i think it's going to be a really good race with everything to play for for both teams so yeah based on both just taking on what you're saying there i do have a thing for the underdog but i really professional hat of motorsport fan hat on i really want tf sport to take it one because it'd be an absolutely astounding year for them with their successes in in world endurance championship and all etc and this and then there is aston martin is passion mclaren is science and i want passion to win So that brings us to the last of the GT4 championships, which is the GT4 Drivers Overall Championship. We have five cars in contention for this one. Uh, so last year, TF Sport claimed the Drivers' Championship with Ash Hand and Tom Canning. And both cars, as we've said previously, are in the running for this year's. So again, we've got the 97 of Jamie Caroline and Daniel Vaughan and the 95 of Conor O'Brien and Patrick Kibble. We've also got both HHC cars, so the 58 of Jordan Collard and Patrick Matheson, and the 57 of Gus Bowers and Chris Fessamel. And the 61 is also in contention, again, the Ford Mustang of Matt Cowley. So what are we thinking here? Um, there are, again, a number of different combinations uh, where people could take the title some more realistic than others shall we say but they're all in there with a chance so let's talk about it first of all the 57 because statistically they've got a chance i think realistically they're out of it they need to win of course by winning that means the 61 can't but then the 95 has to finish in P7 or lower. The 58 has to finish P10. And the 97 has to not score points, has to finish P11 or not finish. P11 or lower or not, or, or, or not finish. I've already said in the team's championship mass, an exempting accident that takes out both cars I don't think there's a chance that we're going to have a podium without a TF Sport car on it. So really, what we need here is the two TF Sport cars out. 
and to take the 58 with them. Because otherwise, I don't think it's mathematically possible for the 57 to take the win. As we've already said in the, um, the silver chat, basically it's between the top three, um, between Caroline and Vaughan and Collard and Matisse and O'Brien and Kibble, between M3. Unfortunately, Cowley is, is a bit too far out to win it. You know, it's slightly more possible than it is for the 57, but it's still very unlikely. Um, but yeah, it, this one has to be the 97 Cars Championship to lose, really. All they've really got to do is outscore the 58 and not have the 95 win. But conversely, the 58 just has to get ahead of the 97, at least at the top of the the podium. Um, it does become slightly more difficult the further down, but it really is between those two cars. So we move now on to the GT3 title hopefuls. And first up, we'll talk about GT3 Pro-Am. So there's no defending champion in GT3 at the moment, as TF Sports, Johnny Adam and Grant Davidson were defending champions. And due to the pandemic, uh, their entry was withdrawn. So in contention for Pro-Am, we've got the... Number 72, Barwell Motorsport of Adam Ballon and Phil Keane. The number six, Ram Racing of Ian Loggie and Yelma Berman. And the WPI Motorsport of Michael Igo. And again, uh, the number 18 has been subject to the revolving door of secondary drivers. Uh, so rather than list everyone, on that, let's talk about what options we've got here. Will Phil Keane finally get the title he's been missing for all these years? It's being that one point ahead. I know he, obviously it's nice being ahead, but Ian Loggie, Elmer Berman, on their day, as quick as anything. So it's, I'll go between them two. Michael Igo having Calderelli as a teammate again. He obviously performed well at the uh, original Donington in old damn conditions, which We'll probably get a Silverstone in November. Um, sort of take your pick between the two. And it's again, this could go down, as we said before, in GT4. This could be a last lap situation again. I think it would be very much wishful thinking to be having a brilliantly sunny, warm day, though it has happened in November. Um, my birthday's around that time. and. One of my things is I want snow on my birthday and I never, ever get it. Um, usually we end up with a little bit of Indian summer. So it's not impossible that's going to be the case. But I think there are going to be a lot of things uh, that teams are going to need to be looking out for, especially in terms of the temperatures just being lower than generally used to um, and potential for ice even because whilst it might not snow, we might well see those temperatures. I would say it'd be down to it'd be makes the less mistakes out of the AM drivers. Both Ballon and Loggy have made various mistakes at certain points this year. Whoever does the best race out of the AMs be the probably determining that determined who's actually gonna win his title. Yeah, I mean the mathematics that give Michael Igo a shot at the championship are 
he requires a lot of things to go his way to make it happen. But of all the long shots that I'm seeing on my uh, on my wall here, because I've got them all printed out and taped to the wall, and um, but the, of all the different mathematics I'm seeing here, this is the one that's probably got the higher chance of happening. Because we have had races where the 72 car has finished below P6. And we have had races where the number six car has also at the same time finished below P7. These circumstances have happened before. Have happened before. So all Michael Igo's got to do is go out to win it, along with Andrea Caldarelli, who they're very, very few, very, very few faster people in a Lamborghini than Caldarelli. Um, that being said, basically, between the two green cars, the Mercedes of Loggie and Berman and the Ballon Keen Lamborghini, it's whoever's ahead at the line. If Phil Keen wins it at Silverstone, <laughs> if I were him, I wouldn't bother entering next year because it's obviously a curse at Donington Park that's causing him the problems, because as soon as we don't go to Donington for the final round, it can win the title. At Brands Hatch, I, am, I remember walking down the pit lane and, and thinking, so at some point soon, we're going to have a new championship in Michael Igo. To see him up here now, with however, however distant it may seem, um, a chance that he might win this. It's still a chance. Um, Ballon has and uh, Loggy have are both liable to make the odd mistake or two during a race. And Phil Keane's terrible bad luck in getting the GT3 title could play a factor. We could see Michael Igo take this on by himself. Um. You know, and and get that this 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 team that entered with a GT Cup car the begin at the beginning of last year, yeah, came in as like an experimental entry, upgraded to a Lamborghini straight away, and then just started to get gradually better and better, yeah. And I expected another couple of years, um, so to see him take it. You see, well, seeming there with the chance of taking it this year is actually really pleasing to me. I mean, it's it's to to, to go outside the usual teams of Barwell, TF, Ram. You know, to have a uh, a small team like WPI come in, just take a couple of years just to win the title. That's brilliant. Hi, I'm Nathan Freak team owner of Century Motorsport and you're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Find them across all social media at BGTF Show. Next up in the GT3 title hopefuls, we've got the GT3 Silver Cup. So the current defending champions of Optimum Motorsport and Ollie Wilkinson are currently further down in the table with no chance of defending. So we are going to have a new champion this year our contenders for this particular championship are in no particular order the ram racing 69 of sam dehan and patrick Hayala, the number 10 two seas motorsport mclaren of jack mitchell and jordan witt 
the 78 Barbell of Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell, and the number two of James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien for Jensen Team Rocket RJN. This title is just going to be a race-long battle. Um, like, you know, there's all kind of different connotations on the mathematics and all this kind of stuff. I wouldn't be able to want to say he, this. Put this this driver pairing is definitely going to take it. Um, it is just going to be down to. I think, as I said before, whoever's got the favourable BAP, whoever's got the most luck on the day, yeah, whoever has the correct pit strategy. I think regardless of what happens, a massive round of applause has to go to James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien. Michael O'Brien stepping up from, from GT4. James Baldwin stepping up from his sofa. And to even with the absolute slimmest chance you've ever seen, to be in with a chance at the end of the year is absolutely astonishing. I do have slight mental visions given that the team are entering a second car. And that second car is being run by a pro who's never driven a GT3 car before. I would see the absolute hilarious irony if the reason that the number two car lost the chance of a win is because it was involved in an incident with its sister car that's being driven by a Formula One world champion. Jack uh, Mitchell and Jordan Witt in the in the number 10 car. Again, they need a lot of help to get this over the line. But given... I mean, all I can say here is hats off to them. Because given the way that I've been... Honestly, and I feel fairly, but other people have said perhaps a bit too much, critiquing the 2C's motorsport performance for the past, what, five months? Having a car in title contention at the final round, especially in the team's first year. Again, there's no shame in finishing where they are now, let alone moving them forward. Rob Collard, Sandy Mitchell, I don't think anybody believed they were going to be slow. I'm mightily surprised at the very minimal amount of damage that's been done to the front end of that car over the course of the year, and they are in a very strong position. So this, this one is, Rob Collard's had a much better year than I thought, I think anybody would have thought he would have had, coming from numerous years of British touring cars. The reputation of he'll crash into everybody, which is, I think, a very unfair labelling on him. Um, yeah. Him and Sandy to be up there against new driver pairing of Sam Dehan and Patrick Ajala for this year. And this one knows it's, as I think me and Gaz keep saying, it's BOP, bit lane, certain track conditions, safety cars. It's going to be, it's so close and the year that the world's fastest game with James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien have been having this year, it's for them to come in cold, come along. And obviously the two C's of Jack Mitchell and Jordan Witt, who a week before Alton Park weren't even announced. It's to come down to have four cars all within a chance of winning silver, silver. It was 
if we were asked for this before Orton Park, we would have grabbed the chance for it. And um, I can't wait to see it. I'm going to ask a quick question now. Who here watched the 24 Hours of Spa last weekend? I watched as much as I could, but didn't watch all of it. Did anybody else attribute the spate of early race punctures, particularly in mid-engine rear-wheel drive cars, to tyre warmth issues on a cold track? I didn't see the first bit of the race. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get into it until about four hours in. So, Three sizable punctures with damage to vehicles in the first two laps. Oh, I think I saw a bit of this on the highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just... Oh, that, that. Don't get me started on this. I, mean, I, don't know mm-hmm. how many, I don't know how many times I have to see this, right, of, of drivers going too fast when they've got a puncture and then just the tyre shredding itself to pieces and then taking the bodywork with it. Yeah. These are supposed to be, in some way, experienced drivers that are driving at the far 24 hours and they're not going to win it in the first two laps. Okay, yeah, they might go to a couple of laps down. Yeah, but you've got another 22 hours, 24 hours or 23 hours to get it back. Yeah. Get it, get yeah, your car no. back. And then, you, and then you can have a chance of winning the race or getting a decent position in the race. It, it does my head in. That does. Well, you have picked up the point that I was heading towards and gone off on a rather substantial detour around it. <laughs> and I am cognizant of the fact that there was, in the last session before the start of this race, a mahoosive pile-up on the old start-finish yeah. straight, uh, with bits of Lamborghini Super Trofeo car spread all over Vervier, basically. But they cleared that up very, very well of the 56 cars entered only three of them suffered punctures. So I don't think it was carbon fiber related. I think it was that they're not getting the tires up to temperature because it's too cold. They're pushing too hard on tires that aren't up to temperature and therefore up to pressure and the tires are failing. Do we have any reason to believe that this exactly the same tire is going to perform any better at Silverstone in November? I wouldn't have thought so because you can watch any Spa 24 hours and you will now have multiple cars going off in the first two laps with punctures because they're just wheel to wheel. It's because they were suddenly using the track limits properly, not suddenly going over them. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> don't but the, don't the, touch that one. Twitter is still on fire yeah, about track limits. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 okay. One, right, one of the reasons why I got into blank pan in the first place is it was basically like touring cars, but with like better looking <laughs> cars. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, right? We, you, they're wheel to wheel and they will bash the crap out of each other and, and, until one, until the other one su- submits, especially for the first few laps and while they get, while they can still get away with it, right? Because the, whoever's observing it, the marshals on the side of the track. Yeah can't exactly tell what's going on in the middle of a pack, right? So they will bust the shit out of each other, yeah? And that's the way you're going to get punctures, right? You can watch any Spa 24 hours and you've got multiple cars coming in off the first two laps with punctures. So rather than being super touring cars, they're touring supercars. Yeah. Well, you can watch, in fact, you can watch, you can watch, you can watch the first two hours, you can watch the first two laps of any blank pan race and they'll, you'll, have, you'll have loads of cars coming in going, oh, I've got a puncture. Oh, oh, is that because you were just like... Try to ram up, right? Like, would like, you just slap in the side of that out of the car? Be like right, going around that corner. Oh yeah, it was. And the guys who don't, who try to get the cars back to the pits too quickly, 
Yeah, and end up trashing the back of their car or front of their car and spreading bodywork all over the place. Don't get me started. Well, you already have. <laughs> so I'm not right to worry about tyres in British I wouldn't have thought so. Well, you know, it could be. <laughs> but I would say the more the, the 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 distinct possibility is because they just smack the crap out of each other on those first few laps. Right. In that case, I will. <clears throat> Both Andrew and I will say, will tell you, right, that, those, that the field of that the field of those cars come past, and you know there's been contact in there, but you don't know who, because you can't see them. No. Yeah, all you can see is the debris field that comes out that's gone. That's that's been left after. So yeah, I'll, winglets. Con- I'll contact Carlisle and tell them not to bring spare tires; they won't need them. Oh, they'll load. They'll need plenty of spare tires. <laughs> yeah. I think whichever way round things go in terms of the weather, it is going to be an extra challenge for the finale this year because uh, we are used to seeing it, you know, being that bit further back when the weather is nicer and the nights are longer and all the rest of it. And I know I kind of hear it, BGTF show HQ, it's already turned blooming freezing. I've been sat here with my jacket on for the past four hours. Yeah, it's not just me then. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the blankets are out here and already. So I don't think it's going to be a warm weekend. And now they're talking about a Scandinavian blast coming in as well. So, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot comes down to, as Andrew said previously, not just the setup but the weather on the day as well as the strategies uh that people are are running um i think that's going to be as much of a player we're going to see another you know extraordinary run before changeover or are people gonna be a little bit sensible and and just kind of take the potential slightly slower to push it later kind of move makes anybody feel any warmer i'm just literally sat in a pair of shorts is your heating on no and my my flat used to be absolutely freezing before they did the roof last year i was gonna say has have you had insulation <laughs> sorted and roof and stuff yes oh don't get me wrong i mean i'm i'm, I'm feeling it a little bit but that's about it so. we move on now to the team's championship which defending champions Barwell are running against Ram Racing. Um, honestly, looking at the maths, this is Barwell's championship to lose on there. So what do you guys think? I think looking at history, it's Barwell's championship to lose as well. They stopped writing all their championships on their website and on the side of their lorry because it takes up too much bloody space. I think they've won at least one of the GT3 titles every year up and covering the championship. Having Ram there, bear in mind, last year they did a full season, but it wasn't particularly impressive. The year before they didn't run, and the year before that they did a part season in British GT. I mean, I know Ram are a properly sorted GT team, but first year they've run two cars in the championship, and having them on the doorstep of a, of a championship with a reasonable chance of taking the victory. I think that's that's more impressive 
far well we expect to be in the battle at the end of it now. It's Is it a year of British GT if Barwell aren't in the team's title at the last round? Yeah, I, th- I think I think Barwell are going to find um, some. Uh, I've got some serious competition here, um, and you know they they need they need to keep it clean and for no mistakes on both on both on the parts of both teams. Yeah, no mistakes from their from their AM drivers. Yeah, um, that and that's and that's where that's that's where the the, the this championship is going to be sorted out between the two teams. Um, going into the G, the drivers overall, um, for me, it's between the sixty nine and the seventy eight. The 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 Sam DeHaan, Patrick Kujala, and Rob Collins, and the Mitchell cars. Um, Alan and Keane, I love them. I do, but you know, I, for me, it's it's between the sixty nine and seventy eight. Um, you know, I, I I can't I can't I can't you can't fault them for this year. You really can't. In Ram Racing's favour in the Teams Championship, and I'm going to drag it back onto the Teams Championship, Mr. Mr. Jacobs, for getting ahead of yourself there and going into the next one. But I think the thing that puts possibly slightly more to Ram's favour, not definitely tilting it in their direction, but getting it levelling the playing field slightly, is the fact that Adam Ballon and Phil Keane have got maximum success seconds to serve at the final stop. Whereas in Ram, it's their faster pairing that have the success seconds to serve and they have the fewest success seconds to serve because they finished third in the final race at Snetterton. That being said... I do agree with what Gaz has said in that it's going to come down to the AMs that's going to be the deciding factor between the two. And I do have much time and respect for Ian Loggie, but between Ian uh, Ian Loggie and Adam Ballon, which one is more likely to make a mistake? Um given Adam Ballon's meteoric rise through the ranks, I don't think we can claim it's going to be him. I would kind of uh, slightly disagree. I mean, I think you've seen Adam Ballon make just as many mistakes this year as... So I've been, I've been, quite, I've been quite surprised with how many mistakes he's made. Yeah? Considering, mm-hmm. considering how well he has done and how well he did do last year. Yeah? So, um, and I, I, would, I would have certainly have thought that that car would be uh, would have would have would have won more than twice this year. Um, if at the, start, if at the start of the season, I would have thought it would have, would have won more than twice this year. Um, but again, you've got to remember they've got the same but slightly lesser situation that Mirflo and Yunanki have, in that they are pro am in a heavily silver cup subscribed championship. Okay, they've very, got, probably, very true. They've got yeah. probably, probably the best pro in the field. Or possibly the best pro in the field. But they are still pro-am. And Adam's got to fight his way through a lot of silvers to get to the front. So let's turn our attention to the Drivers' Overall Championship as we are already there. Uh, so as Gaz has alluded to, in contention we have got 
the 69 of Sam DeHaan and Patrick Yala and the 78 of Rob Collard and Sandy Mitchell. We've also got the 72 Barwell of Adam Ballon and Phil Keane in contention and James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien also in the Jensen team rocket number two. So I think against the world's fastest game with James Baldwin and Michael O'Brien, I think it's I think they're a bit too far out for them to win the championship unless the top three cars decide to crash into each other. It's gonna be between the sixty nine and the seventy eight. And Ballon and Phil Keen are probably a bit too far behind and I think them two cars will be sixty nine, seventy eight will be the ones battling for the final final position, the final championship. First place. I think this one could possibly go to any of the top three. I mean, just looking at the different combinations, um, we've kind of had them all at various points on the season. So who's better suited to the track and who's going to have the best strategy there? I think, again, that's what it's going to come down to. Also, about these six drives in the top three cars, one of them is a, one of them is an AM. We've got one prone and the other's a silver silver class driver. So the pressure is Adam Ballon to perform. He's got to do his bit. If he doesn't do his bit, Phil Keane will not be get, winning the championship again. I think the circuit the circuit favours the Mercedes. It's it's a circuit that favours a nice big talky engine. In terms of you've got long, long, long straights. Aerodynamic balance may be a bit more important, so the McLaren might come to the fore a bit more. But the Hanger straight, the Wellington straight, more the more more the Wellington straight because you're coming out of a, a big stop, you're coming at it from relatively slow speed. Because Aintree, it's a corner, but it's a flat out corner. I think on the Adam Ballon, Phil Keane front, the, the pro am front, Silverstone, it's a proper Formula One grade one circuit, which means it is acres wide. So Phil Keane's job is going to get a lot easier. Conversely, Adams is going to get a bit harder because it's hard to defend when you've got options of either side and straight down the middle. But it's also going to be a lot easier for Phil Keane to make progress as the faster driver because he'll have his choice of lines into the, into the big overtaking point, points and he'll be able to carry the speed. I, don't, I do not know which way to go on this one. So that wraps up this episode of the British GT Fan Show. Don't forget to check out our most recent interview with Nathan Freak, which is also available through all good podcast providers and our social media. Our special in-depth look at the entry list for this year's Silverstone Showdown is also out now. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. 
Remember, the show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at BGTFshow.